Star Wars. This is on Star Wars, specifically Clone Wars, season seven. Star Wars. This is on Star Wars, specifically Clone Wars, episode nine. Coruscant under attack. Separatists make military moves on multiple worlds, and the Jedi respond to aid the beleaguered clone troops. Obi-Wan Kenobi flies into the fray on planet Urbana, followed closely by his brother Anakin Skywalker. Destroying droids is too easy for these veteran generals, but little do they know what's in store for them after the battle. Is that Ahsoka Tano waiting in the wings? Master Kalyan and Padawan Sarah are tasked with accompanying Lady Tano to Mandalore to search for the former Sith Lord Maul. But what will they find when they arrive? Welcome, ravenous streamers and culture consumers aboard Bohemian Geek Studies Millennium Fandom. I'm Padawan learner Sarah O'Connor, queen of queries, lady of literature, and defender of droids. Pew pew! And I'm Jedi Master Colleen McMillan, Lady of Loggers, Gryffindor Prefect, and Rebel Scum Collaborator, with that quick disclaimer that there's still much both Sarah and I desire to learn about Star Wars to earn these ranks that we carry. As a friendly reminder, we will be discussing spoilers and using some adult content-y language, so if you haven't watched Episode 9 yet, or the idea of the beginning of the final arc of Clone Wars <laughs> distresses you like it does us, well, then you're gonna have a bad time. Just kidding! This is Star Wars! Let's go! So without further ado, let's punch it, Colleen! Yahoo! Yes, the beginning of the end. <laughs> oh. Sobbing. So let's hop into the Millennium fandom for our episode. That sounds good. Our, our repping on the episode. <laughs> let's hop into the Millennium fandom for our episode recap. Opening card, you say? Yoda's moral, What's that you, say? you say? JK, there's no opening card, you guys. Instead, let's go over what does pop up on our screens before the episode starts. It is that old school Lucasfilm limited opener from the original trilogy. So if it's looking a little 70s, that's why. And then, yep, cue all the goosebumps when that happens because you know some epic shit's about to go down. Then Absolutely. we're hit with the opening crawl theme that John Williams sweet, sweet score coming at us and the red Clone Wars sigil. All the goosebumps, all of them. Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. Welcome to the beginning of the end as we know it and we don't feel fine. Mm -hmm. That's right, listeners. This is the final arc of all Clone Wars. <laughs> And while we are sad to see it go, we love watching it leave. Mm -hmm. With no opening card, the narrator tells us what's up. General Grievous has launched a massive attack in the Outer Rim, giggity, and we know he's on his way to Coruscant to kidnap Grandpappy Palpy. You guys, there's so much plot in this episode, so we're really happy it's longer than normal. Wink, wink, nudge, nudge, know what we mean? A few minutes longer, a few inches longer on that lightsaber, wink, wink. So just from the opening credits, we can tell that this was made to be a feature film. All the signs mm -hmm. point to it being Dave Filoni's glorious swan song. And we'll go over like who we see at the Jedi Council holo table later, like from that very first image. So let's get into the meat of the episode. 
Obi-Wan leaps into the fray to save Commander Cody. Mm. Nice. Talk about you later too, Cody, on the planet Urbana, but he is forced to retreat. Anakin ambles in, tosses his locks, throws some shade at them taking cover. Then he saunters out and freaking fake surrenders to the droids. And I couldn't help just be astounded at how obscenely narcissistic Anakin is for literally turning his back on the incoming fire. So either he is 100% mm-hmm. within the force, I think not, or he he <laughs> just believes he's impervious. I mean, the hubris of this guy is incredible. Yep, it was a big Kevin Costner at the beginning <laughs> yeah. of Dances with Wolves moment. Yes. Just going out there. In the line of fire. But this does work. I mean, his tactic works. The tactical droid is lured out. And then Anakin Force pulls him away from cover and destroys him. And Rex and the 501st fly in Mandalorian style on jetpacks, taking out as many droids as possible. Obi-Wan tells Cody, oh, yeah, bud, you can join in the fun. And our the slaughter. Yeah, just, just a little bit of light uh, slaughtering. And our main men ultimately get another win on the scoreboard. Yalaren mysteriously encourages both Obi-Wan and Anakin back to the ship. And we see Ahsoka and Bo-Katan. Yes. Oh, Ahsoka and Bo-Katan in the hollow. Did you freak out? I freaked out. But you know what? Ahsoka ain't here for that. He, she is not here for Anakin's wide-eyed puppy dog reunion tour act and tells them that they have a chance to get Maul. However, Obi-Wan is quick to encourage them to capture but not kill his grinder target. And that's not all. Anakin leads Ahsoka to the hangar, earning her salutes along the way, which made our hearts sing so wonderful so wonderful to ultimately be greeted by clones who have painted their helmets very quickly we might add Mm -hmm. in her honor Mm -hmm. that was a wonderful moment i teared up right away (laughs) knew it was coming didn't matter still cried all right so alarms start going off on the ship ruining this lovely moment and yeah, not just on. on the Her Universe <laughs> web store as fans buy all the new Ahsoka merch, which I totally did. <laughs> so Obi-Wan runs in to whisk Anakin away to rescue the Chancellor, of course. Ahsoka fed up with all this Jedi bullshit. She's, she's no Jedi. Goddamn right, she's not. So Anakin comes up with a compromise. He actually is kind of cute when he does this. He's like looking back and forth at them like, Mom, Dad, please stop hiding. <laughs> and he agrees to split the 501st. Promote Rex, fucking finally make Ahsoka an advisor on the ground. So Ahsoka, Rex, and Bo-Katan head to Mandalore to start the siege. Prime Minister Almec calls them invaders. The audacity of this freaking prime minister. Mm -mm. Almec. And then the freaking Maldalorians attack Ahsoka's force that is coming in. I see what you did there. And Ahsoka does a magnificent controlled fall through the Mandalore sky, which I wish I could replicate, Mm -hmm. taking out enemies, saving a pilot, and hero landing in the capital city of Sundari using her lightsabers. This was like my favorite part in all of it, to Mm -hmm. slow down her landing and deflect 
blaster fire. Mm-hmm. They succeed in chasing the the mall DeLoreans <laughs> below the city into a tunnel system, and Ahsoka, like the hero she is, follows. Mm-hmm. Bo-Katan takes care of Almec in the throne room, but tells her it's a trap. Quote. He wanted you to bring the Jedi here, but you brought the wrong one. Mm -hmm. So clearly, like us, he ships Obi Maul too. Mm -hmm. Meanwhile, Ahsoka's clone team is taken out in the tunnels, and she is left alone to face a melodiously maleficent voice Mm. emerging from the darkness. Enter... Mall. Bum, bum, bum. I'm gonna fan myself for a little minute here, guys, <laughs> before we get to our theme, which is old friends now remembered. The title of this episode is Old Friends Not Forgotten, so it pairs wonderfully with this theme today. And Colleen, just just a little appetizer here. What relationships weren't touched on here? Am I right? <laughs> Walk us through just like eagle eye. I would say pretty much every single important relationship is touched on in this episode. But a couple of ones that were touched on that were pretty obvious to us, starting out with Ahsoka, her relationship to those in her past and present as she's forging her new future based on Jedi ideals of old. Yep. That's one of our favorite things. And it's going to continue to go on through this arc. And then poor Anakin, like we said before, when he's adorably trying to help compromise Obi-Wan and Ahsoka, he's trying to build bridges between these members of his family that he chose. It's not his blood. It's basically his brother and sister. And he's the middle child. So, of course, he's trying to be the peacemaker between them. (laughs) Exactly. And the Jedi themselves, they're kind of victims of the past too, right, Colleen? Oh, yeah, completely. They're attempting to keep a faltering status quo instead of adapting and growing with the times. Like you can tell, this is a rusty machine that is just not working anymore. Yep. They're stuck believing that they're still in the High Republic when there were a lot more Jedi and when they were seen as like this Camelot Knights of the round table kind of situation. So what you're telling me is they're mixing in some long bottom leaf with their medicinal spices. (laughs) You're darn right they are. They think that they're so smart and they are so superior to everyone else. The present is hazy and Mm -hmm. they truly can't see what's right in front of them. They really can't. Not even a little bit. Predictably and pathologically, Palpatine uses this blindness to his ultimate advantage And we don't mean meeting Ray's grandmother. Mm. (laughs) I mean, clones, but that's fine. Mm. Right. (laughs) Unlike Ahsoka, who uses her experiences to learn and change, as we've seen throughout this entire series, the Jedi stubbornly cling to the old ways, and it leads to their doom. Yep. And Mm -hmm. Bo-Katan is fighting for the Mandalore she lost and hopes Mm -hmm. to regain. Mm -hmm. And Maul is waiting to reunite with his boyhood crush. And so... While these relationships are forged, it is time for us to turn to our glowing, beautiful seven holocrons, a.k.a. those repositories of knowledge that sing. It's that time, folks, to kick us off on our first holocron, dealing with setting, time, and location. We are at the Siege of Mandalore, and it moves in concert with the film Revenge of the Sith. Mm -hmm. Obi-Wan and Anakin leave Ahsoka to head to Coruscant mere 
hours, which is wild, mm -hmm. before Anakin slays Count Dooku on Palpy's orders. Mm -hmm. Do 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 do. And once we're done with this Clone Wars season, we plan on letting you know how to watch the two together so you get the entire timeline. And because Colleen is such an incredible maester, she plans on kind of tracking a little bit of that time warp and internal consistencies and maybe some inconsistencies that might crop up. But you know what? Today's episode is a gift, so let's focus on where our favorite friends and foes are in the story at present. All right, so we start on Urbana, making its Star Wars debut. We don't get to see too much at this planet, just that Golden Gate-style bridge. Shouts to San Fran, B2Dubs, because that is one of the Lucasfilm headquarters locations, which nice. is probably why this bridge is here. It seems like a nice enough place. I mean, it looks pretty from orbit. It looks like Earth. Yep. It's probably got a nice, breathable atmosphere. So then we move right on to Mandalore. And we've seen a ton of Mandalore in Clone Wars and Rebels. And now on The Mandalorian show, I'm sure we'll start to see a little bit more of the planet. But there are a few things that we thought you should know about the planet and its people, just to set our scene a little bit more. Break it down for us, girl. Tell us what we need to know. Oh, I got you. I got you on research. So, shockingly, Mandalore is the main planet in the Mandalore system, which is in the Mandalore sector in the Outer Rim. It's not quite as bad as Naboo, where everything is called Naboo, but it gets pretty close here. So, many of the planets in the sector, of course, fall under the planet Mandalore's sway, such as Sabine Wren from Rebels' home, Cronist. And the people on these planets refer to themselves as Mandalorian after being conquered. So the Mandalorian people are vast, at least until the Empire tears them to shreds in the Great Purge. Yay! And what yes. about our main setting, Sundari? Mm, Can you tell yes. us a little bit about that? Mm -hmm. This is the Mandalorian capital city. And as we can see in this episode and others, it's under a dome. They're in a biodome, folks. All cities on Mandalore are domed, as centuries of warfare have left their planet desolate and inhospitable. The people there are a very clannish warrior society, and only under Duchess Satine, may she rest in peace, did Mandalore finally settle down a smidge. And it might be a little too soon, but <laughs> apparently she could get them to settle down, but not Obi-Wan. Am I understanding that right? Too soon. Okay, too soon. I mean, if she had only just asked, <laughs> he would have given up everything. <laughs> but even though Satine was able to kind of settle them down, a lot of the Mandalorians maintained their warlike nature. They're feared throughout the galaxy by many, even by the time in the TV show The Mandalorian, though their numbers are far fewer at that Which time. Which is frame. so cool. It feels very Sparta to me. Yes, very, very kind of this spartan kind of quality a very game of thrones quality where there are houses that are loyal to each other and warring factions and such which is really cool i yeah. hope we get even more of that in the tv show in this final arc that we're following right now maul's maldalorians they're actually called the marauders but we like maldalorians a lot more they're yeah, embracing I'm this warrior nature <laughs> i love it i was like yep maldalorians is fine and they're following this leader who promises honor in battle I mean, that's what Maul has promised them. 
Which, speaking of Game of Thrones, I expect if Darth Raki existed in this universe, they'd be like, all right, bro, let's let's ride to die or ride to kill, whatever comes next. Mm -hmm. And regardless of how you feel about Game of Thrones, our other kind of fandoms, right now we move to our second holocron to dissect a little bit further our heroes and villains and yeah. to kick things off. Hot, cool under pressure, Obi-Wan is back and let us say, oh, hello there. When he <laughs> falls out of the sky and saves Cody, that shot of his determined face is one for the cinematic ages. <laughs> Two things are clear about this guy in this episode. One, he's willing to risk his life for Cody. Sorry, Maul. And his loyalty is completely to the Republic. Yep, completely. It just comes out much more in this episode. It's too bad that he's so overcome mentally by his grief for Satine's death and for how long they've been at war that he can't see that Anakin is unraveling before his eyes. And yep. speaking of our guy Anakin, arrogant little shit, he pops into that <laughs> battle, completely bluffs his way through it. It's a lot like Obi-Wan did at the beginning of the series on Christophsis, so fair, he is taking a page out of Obi-Wan's playbook. But he basically shames Obi-Wan into letting him take over the battle plan. Yep. Then he walks his narrow ass out into that field, <laughs> dodging blaster fire like a boss. Like, fine, whatever, Anakin. I know it seems like I'm getting down on our dude a little bit, but that's just because I know what's coming. Yeah, remember, folks, Colleen is a Jedi master and she can see into the future people. <laughs> the unfortunate future of Anakin J. Skywalker. <laughs> but here, looking at him as the heroic figure, he completely fits the bill. He has the bravado, the easy grace, those smart guy comments, strong jawline, fluffy flowing locks. And he works really well with his troops to secure victory. Which reminds me very much of the idea you either die a hero or live long enough to see yourself delusionarily as the galaxy's <laughs> empiric savior. Potato, potato. <laughs> yeah, I mean, they're, they're super close, right? This is fine. We do love that we get to see his endearing vulnerability later in this episode, too. So parts of the good light side Anakin are still here. Absolutely. We're just going to lose them very quickly. <laughs> And speaking of who's here and who Anakin is sort of, kind of, not really, maybe losing quite quickly, who's in that hologram but Ahsoka Tano? Our focus for the second and the last arc in Clone Wars, and frankly, putting this out there in the ether, may many, 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 many stories to come be inspired by her. Mm -hmm. She's so calm and collected in this episode, taking zero crap from Obi-Wan, leading the clones on Mandalore, and basically being a force of a force of mm -hmm. nature. She's got her signature sass going on and has Bo-Katan's respect. The other Mandalorians fall right along with her plans too, showing that they also find her capable captain. Mm -hmm. That's a lot to put on a 16-year-old force wielder or not. And mm -hmm. the fact she exits the gauntlet ship to the force mm -hmm. theme points out to us in a subtle, romanticized way brilliantly poignant way mm -hmm. that she is our protagonist to watch yep 
she is our focus. Although we have to give a little shout out to Rex too, because yeah, he started buddy. things off with the Bad Batch arc. So we know that he's also going to be really important. We should expect to see more of him than just smiling at Ahsoka's antics and being like, ah, just like the old days. La. Uh, it's like the old days shucks. were like a couple years ago. Rex is not quite old. But we have zero doubts that he is going to play a massive role in the siege coming up. Oh, huh. A siege. Who who uh, knew that that was coming? But our big baddie lightning zappy grandpappy <laughs> coming in a purple lightning hot. It's grandpappy palpy, y'all. That insidious power behind all of Clone Wars. And while he's not shown on screen, General Grievous kidnapping him puts revenge of the Sith plot into high gear, talking about punch it, Chewy, mm-hmm. And it's what separates Anakin and Ahsoka in this episode. Mm-hmm. And Palpy has started his chess endgame. And we are about to see what has happened to our favorite characters while Revenge of the Sith movie played out. And I mean, this is behind the scenes action, y'all. Mm-hmm. Yep, yep. It's all going to roll together. This is a gift. This is a gift. And you know who else is a gift, folks? Argyle Maul. Our fascination with the tattooed Zabrak continues. He makes his appearance in this episode to the same music they use for his emerging from the shadows in a dark hoodie moment in The Phantom Menace. Woo! He says that he was expecting Obi-Wan. Likely another trap for our sad-faced Jedi Master. <laughs> or a page taken from his diary. Potato, potato. Mm-hmm. And Maul keeping a very sad, angry diary is so on brand for him. <laughs> so on brand. <laughs> and this obsession with Obi-Wan is one of Maul's main driving forces. And mm-hmm. while we agree that pining after Obi is perfectly <laughs> fine, mm-hmm. we have to wonder... What is he doing back on Mandalore? Mm -hmm. Did he think that being there would be an automatic draw for Mm Obi-Wan? Did they discuss this beforehand and old Ben performed yet another forced ghosting to Maul's dismay? Mm -hmm. We're just not sure. Mm -hmm. But likely, Maul had the same idea that Bo-Katan did. Mm -hmm. Use Obi-Wan's memories and feelings for Satine to lead him back Mm -hmm. but maybe this is why it's always going to be a missed connection neither one of them understands obi-wan very well bo-katan's quote Mm -hmm. i thought she meant something to you gambit referring to satine Mm -hmm. won't work on this completely war fatigue jedi master like it did back in season five Mm -hmm. that was way 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 harsh and like so two so two seasons ago and like we said from the last seasons this made us think back to season two episode voyage of temptation where obi-wan is talking to anakin about the tough personal relationship choices that jedi have to make quote he usually leaves out the undercurrent of remorse and this oh. is obi-wan talking about the stuff yoda leaves out of his mission statements but he might as well be talking about himself in season seven It seems like he's lost his confidence. He's lost his swagger. Like, he's still incredibly brave and selfless. But seeing Obi-Wan without his trademark snark is really hard. Like, he tries a few witty comebacks, and he's still our Obi-Wan. But you can tell that he's lost his spirit. And he says to Bo-Katan later in the episode, quote, I cannot allow my feelings to cloud my judgment. 
And then camera swoops white to Anakin, <laughs> who's about to let his feelings cloud all his judgment. <laughs> and we don't know exactly what Maul is up to yet. Mm-hmm. But interestingly, or cliffhangery y, he doesn't attack Ahsoka right away. So I'm trying and behaving like a super good purist Padawan. I'll and I'm waiting. Tell. <laughs> and waiting until this recording is over to dive into the next episode to find out what the heck is going on and to see what happens next when I anticipate the action picks back up. But you know what? We're not there yet. But where mm. we are is to move on to our third holocron, cool culture. Colleen, which culture won today? Ooh, great culture. One of the really interesting ones, the Chagrutas. We decided it was time to delve into our girl Ahsoka species. Well, they're a little bit like the Twi'leks with their Leku. The Chagrutas actually have their own unique culture. They're a sentient species from the planet Shili, and that is where Ahsoka was born. They're characterized by their colorful skin tones, large montrals, which are the kind of their horns, and the headtails, their Leku. And they have white facial pigments, which serve to hide them from predators on the planet. And obviously, Ahsoka Mm. is the most famous of all. Mm -hmm. And interestingly, she was originally named Ashla. Mm -hmm. This is really cool because George Lucas divides the force into light and dark, as we know. But what some of you might not know is that it's called Ashla and Bogon. Mm -hmm. This points back to our theory that we can't wait to flesh out more. Watch Rebels. That Ahsoka is the avatar or will be the avatar for the light side and is the Mortis daughter. Mm -hmm. Another noteworthy Togruta is Shakti, Mm -hmm. a Jedi master. And if you can't really remember to refresh your recollection, she was in charge of the clone training facility on Kamino way back early in the series and has some pretty badass moves. Mm -hmm. Now, spoiler (laughs) to her life story, she joins many of the Jedi who don't survive Order 66. But there's a bit of an enigma as to how she dies. Mm -hmm. Colleen, could you explain the mystery solve for us? Of course. So there are deleted scenes from Revenge of the Sith that have Grievous killing her after he captures the Chancellor. And then there's another one where a turned Anakin into Vader kills her as she's meditating. And then also season six of The Clone Wars, Yoda sees her death at Vader's hand in a force vision. So there's a lot of different choices we could have here, but her canonical death was finally confirmed as being killed by Darth Vader during order 66 in the 2016 reference book, star Wars galactic Atlas. So Vader is the one who kills her. Thanks Colleen. And speaking of things that you help answer for me and others, Mm -hmm. I have been really interested in learning a little bit more about what I thought was Ahsoka's possible changing facial markings throughout this series. Mm -hmm. And so you dug up a little bit of information on what is actually a real phenomenon that's, that is actually going on in the show. So 
help us. What What's going on here? Tell us more. Yep. You had asked about the changing facial markings last episode, which was a really good catch. And I wanted to dig up a little bit more info on this. And it's absolutely true. Ahsoka ages. And as she ages, her facial markings and leku details change. It's not a design mistake. This is purposeful. I actually found a cute little diagram that shows them aging her up in the animation style. Ata Garuda's markings indeed change as they age, becoming more stretched out as their face matures. So yeah. she's like losing roundness. It's getting more angular, but also getting bigger because she's getting bigger. So her markings are changing. And it was really lovely to see how Anakin and the portion of the 501st under her command honored her by incorporating her facial markings onto their masks, like super adorbs, guys. It's going to be yeah. problematic for the coming episodes, but adorbs right now. And the yep. Republic may be strapped when it comes to most resources in this war, but apparently spare orange paint is an ample supply. And this is like the quickest rush paint job that we've ever seen carried out. Which I super duper appreciate. And mm -hmm. speaking of things I super duper appreciate, moving to our cool item. I mean, it, it could only be one item. And Colleen, may I pass the honor of announcing it to oh. you, my master, please. Is it in a really cute box <laughs> that you are handing to me with a lot of Here. emotional music swelling? <laughs> yes, here, I, I have kept this safe for you, but have totally tweaked with its essential nature. Here you go, my love. Here Here is the cool item today. <laughs> yes, I love it. I love everything about it. So we have to give it up to Ahsoka's lightsabers. Well, her two sets of lightsabers. We have to talk about both. She starts the Clone Wars with a single saber with that green blade, kind of like the the one that is seen Luke wielding, and then Ezra also wields in Rebels, that same color. Sometime before the Mortis arc, though, she adopted the practice of Jarkai, and this is the art of fighting with two blades. So she constructed a second saber, which is called a Shoto blade, and it's not a trick of the light. This Shoto blade is shorter than her usual lightsaber, and it is yellow-green instead of the regular green. And while it's more of a secondary weapon, and this is actually the kind of weapon Yoda and other Jedi of shorter stature have to use because it has to match their height, Ahsoka adapted to using these two blades really well. Like, after leaving the Order in Season 5, she relinquished her sabers to the Order. But Anakin kept him. She done kept him. It's perfect. <laughs> love him. This is fine. Interesting little side note here on Ahsoka's first sabers. In her novel... Ahsoka mentions leaving the green bladed sabers behind on Mandalore to fake her death. This appears to be a slight continuity error, which E.K. Johnston Just has alluded to on Twitter. So they know, they know that this is a slight miscalculation. <laughs> and as we know, Anakin gleefully returns these sabers to Ahsoka and she knowingly and a bit lovingly seems to smirk at him when the blades ignite because mm -hmm. hello, mm -hmm. they're blue. Mm -hmm. And Anakin jokes that they, quote, might be a little bit better than her old ones. And frankly, I was going to ask Jedi Master Colleen in The Master and Apprentice, 
what he meant by improvements here was Anakin trying to be like, see, see, look how connected we are. Now we match, matchy, matchy, <laughs> come back apprentice. We're totally cool in blue mm -hmm. without realizing in his haste mm -hmm. how uncool it is to mess with someone's personal sabers like that, mm -hmm. relinquished or not. Like, mm -hmm. don't touch my saber bra, don't touch it. Mm -hmm. And real life force wielder, mm -hmm. friend of the pod, Connie Lau sent us an awesome screenshot from the Instagram account Star Wars Dude of this key Dave Filoni quote that explains the love and the concern of this act as follows mm -hmm. quote Anakin knows enough about lightsabers to be able to alter the angle or frequency of the saber blade or crystal to make it more like his own mm -hmm. I wanted to show a clear connection between the master and apprentice relationship of Anakin and Ahsoka so I decided to shift her lightsabers to blue like Anakin's him tinkering with her lightsabers while she was gone shows that he was always thinking of her and the lightsabers are then a representation of her in the story and his thoughtfulness mm -hmm. regarding her Mm -hmm. However, and that's a me inserting however, mm -hmm. his changing of the color can also be seen as him exerting control or being too protective, mm -hmm. which is very Anakin. Mm -hmm. He means well, but often takes things too far when trying to express how he feels. Mm -hmm. He hates sand. <laughs> it shows his care, but also his ego, end mm -hmm. quote. Sizable and, ego. Yes, yeah, sizable ego. That's why his and, hair is so thick. It's hiding his <laughs> It's all that ego. Mm -hmm. It's like um, it's like Gretchen from Mean Girls. All those his hair secrets. is full of secrets. <laughs> yeah, his hair is full of that hubris. And then, as we had mentioned at a very early pod, and we expect to cover more if and when this does happen. We know from some announced artwork, I think it was, that she does transition to a third and important saber color. Mm -hmm. Yep. Ahsoka is without her lightsabers for about a year after the Clone Wars. So she's 17 at the end of the Clone Wars and is 18 in her novel. But she continues gathering little items and supplies that could be used in saber construction. After defeating the Inquisitor, the sixth brother in the novel she heals the red kyber crystals from his weapon. And then she- Which is adorable. It's so cute. Like, she heals them because in order to create the red crystal, you have to basically break the crystal and make it bleed. And that's why they're red. <laughs> yep. You're basically maiming a sentient thing in order no. to make it bleed for your freaking Sith lightsaber. Defend uh, those kyber crystals. <laughs> Hashtag defend. Justice for the Kyber. Yes. <laughs> so she takes these poor, sweet red crystals, heals them. And after she's constructed the hilts, she ignites her newly built sabers and the blades glow a brilliant white. And you see these sabers in Rebels, too. So she's wielding those two lightsabers with the white, yeah. with the white blades. And Dave Filoni said the crystals retain their pure white color because Ahsoka isn't a Jedi. Nope. She ain't no Jedi, folks. She's a powerful force user with no affiliation to either side. 
and I love, and we love, and we anticipate you love someone who's in charge of creating more story of a fandom that loves those key, important, significant details that we latch onto and just love turning over, mulling, and considering. And as we do that, that is a fantastic pivot point for us to talk about our fifth holocron, mm-hmm. homages and Easter eggs. Mm-hmm. Quote, what's one more war? More importantly, Bo-Katan, what's one more holocron? Mm-hmm. Frankly, folks, there were almost too many Easter eggs to search out in this episode. So we had Colleen choose just a few. Colleen Take it away. Start us off with that delicious, as we talked about a little bit earlier, when it comes mm-hmm. to kyber crystals, mm-hmm. color, red, red wine. Yes. Ooh, UV40 call out. I like it. All right. So, yep. Those opening credits were red, like blood red, not Christmas red, blood red. So three of the films have used the red color in their logo, Return of the Jedi, Revenge of the Sith, and The Last Jedi. And we thought it was pretty interesting these movies use the color red. In Return of the Jedi, the Sith are supposedly wiped out. In Revenge of the Sith, the Jedi are mostly wiped out. And then in The Last Jedi, Kylo absolutely wipes the floor with Snoke's bisected body. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Bye-bye, Snoke. We thought you would mean more, but that's fine. There's another reason for that flashy flash color, though. The red title sequence means Maul is on his way. Danger, Will Robinson, danger. Super danger. So you can tell by looking looking at this being a color of death or evil, because it is about death in some way, whether it's the death yep. of the Sith, the death of the Jedi, the death of poor sweet Snoke, not realizing that Kylo has turned on him. But as any good tarot card reader can tell you, the death card can have many meanings. A person can assume literal death when seeing this card, but another meaning is endings. So are the uh, so <laughs> as we contain our sobs. So are the Clone Wars creators signaling the end of the series, the massive amounts of death coming our way, or just more sexy danger snack approach? D, all of the above. Darn right, give us all of it. Oh, and then one more little note here: Maul's Mondo followers, those <laughs> Maldalorians, they wear red armor, which symbolizes him, of course. But it's also a stand-in for the dark side color of red. And then we have Bo-Katan's forces wearing blue armor, signaling that they are aligned with the light side and the first saber color we saw, the blue lightsaber. Which I guess is like an Easter egg of one of the most original Easter eggs of them all. Vader Mm -hmm. red, Luke blue. The fighting Mm -hmm. along the plank, the losing the hand, the the, Uh, like the Mm -hmm. original key, I am your father moment Easter egg. It's hysterical, of course, because the blue saber was Anakin's. Bum, bum, bum. Technically, Vader slash Anakin just sliced um, his own um, lightsaber um. out of his son's hand. <laughs> we never said that Darth Vader was a good papa bear. <laughs> no. But what we do want to talk about next is the round table roundup that mm. I loved that you pointed this out in our outline, Colleen. Break down for us who is standing around the Jedi Council table in the opening for us. Refresh our recollections. Yes. 
So I wanted to go over these because this is going to fit in with Revenge of the Sith when you're doing your watch of the film along with this arc. First, we have Yoda, of course, and he is soon to be dispatched to the Wookiee planet Kashyyyk with Commander Clone Commander Gree. Next, we have Mace Windu, soon to be dispatched to being a bigger asshole than usual. Stand on Coruscant. <laughs> mm. I'm real sorry, Sam L, but Mace is just such a tough hang. Let's talk about tough hangs. The next guy, Ki Adimundi. I never really liked him. <laughs> I don't know why. He just wasn't one of my favorites. He is going to be dispatched to Maigito with Commander Baraka. And then we have sweet, wonderful Plo Koon, Ahsoka's kind of father figure guy. Yeah. He's going to be dispatched to Kato Nimoidia, which is the home of the Trade Federation flunky guys with the troubling accents. And he's most likely sent there with Commander Wolf, who has been with him pretty much throughout the Clone Wars. Next, we have Ayla Sakura who is the blue Twi'lek Jedi. She's going to be dispatched to Colorful Felucia, which is that really kind of funky-looking Lisa Frank planet yeah. with all the bright colors, with Commander Bly. And then, this was my favorite, my absolute favorite, it is Depa Balaba and Lil Caleb Doom. Her little, <laughs> her little Padawan is with her, mimicking her crossed arms and everything. So cute. They are going to be dispatched... Very cry-inducing for me to the planet Kalair with Commander Gray. And then there we do see the two clone commanders at the table, and they've been identified as Commander Bly and Baraka. And we have to give a special shout out to Baraka, whose clone trooper number is CC1138. This is the reference to George Lucas's first film, THX1138. That's so cool that you mm-hmm. like discovered that. That's so cool. Bravo. Yes. Always, always <laughs> look out for that. 1138 because George likes to use that a lot and then troublingly like this is the main reason why I really wanted to talk about these guys you'll notice that these are the most highly trained Jedi masters most of them are on the council they're off in the outer rim so Palpy can start shit on Coruscant also it seems a little too coincidental that Mace is the one left on Coruscant at the temple, the one Jedi master that Anakin, Anakin really does not mesh with. Anaconda so, don't want Anaconda. none of. <laughs> he don't want none of Mace. Unless yo. he got mm-hmm. more titles, hun. <laughs> <laughs> no, Mace shot him down for all the titles. <laughs> so it makes us wonder, like, did Palpatine request Mace to be the one to stay at the temple? For protection that would make sense because you know who anakin is gonna turn on faster than about anyone <laughs> it's almost as if palpy was masterminding everything all along is that what you're telling us is this the breaking news breaking news palpatine <laughs> had his fingers in every freaking piece of the pie <laughs> And speaking of something that we see recurring often and often again for our third holocron, much of Lucas's favorite serialized TV shows, this episode begins in the midst Mm -hmm. of a battle that needs to be wrapped up before the main storyline begins. This happens Mm -hmm. a lot in Star Wars. I can't, I can't remember, Colleen, did you talk about the like statistical breakdown or it, I, I swear that there's a fan out there who has done like a Ravenclaw analysis of the percentage oh, sure. of episodes beginning in a battle. Mid-battle. Yes, Mid-battle. yes. Yeah. I mean. Well, it's a great place to start. It gets you right into the action. 
but then it wraps up really quickly. So then you can start at where you're really wanting people to pay attention. Yep. It's like, it gets you really into it. It gets you into the action. It gets you excited for what's coming. And then it preps you for the main theme or the main plot points that are coming. Yeah. And then just like, yeah, you raised a really cool one about Duchess Satine that kind of in the back Mm -hmm. of my mind had always scratched, but I never took the time to make Mm -hmm. the connection. Enlighten our listeners. Mm -hmm. This one, actually, I looked into a couple of deep dives and a bunch of them mentioned that this was true. Sweet. And I was like, oh, I really need to actually look up what Dave Filoni says about this because I don't believe this is true, even though it's, it could be. A lot of people think that Duchess Satine was named for Nicole Kidman's character in Moulin Rouge, which also starred Ewan McGregor, who was in love with this Satine. Yeah. Now, Filoni and Satine's creator, Tony Gilroy, deny this. It does seem like a little bit of a coincidence, but Filoni asked him, asked Tony Gilroy if this was true. And Gilroy was like, nah, bro, I just named her Satine. (laughs) She is, however, modeled after Kate Blanchett. Very cool. Which is kind of cool because Governor Price from Rebels also really resembles one of Kate Blanchett's characters from the Indiana Jones movie that shall not be named because it's not a real movie, but I just wanted to throw it out there. We do not acknowledge the Indiana Jones film that will not be named. (laughs) And speaking of the importance of names, this was another little gem that I was going to raise in Master and Apprentice, but you beat me to the punch fantastically in a holocron. The the fulcrum name. Mm -hmm. I could tell that it was important, but I, I couldn't remember how. Flesh out the importance of the name Fulcrum that we heard Mm -hmm. dropped in this episode and elsewhere. Yes. This name comes from Anakin. So Ahsoka contacted Yularen using Anakin's personal subspace frequency, which was codenamed Fulcrum. Anakin and Obi-Wan assume that it saw Guerrera, who is still on his home planet Onderon fighting there. And it's another nice Easter egg for this episode. Like another Easter egg within an Easter egg within an Easter egg. Yes. Yeah, it's like, yes, this is coming from Anakin, but it's really alluding to Ahsoka's future code name. Which is so cool. Oh, it's so cool. At the end of her novel, she meets up with Bail Organa and says that she wants to be a recruiter for the rebellion. And so she chooses the code name Fulcrum because of Anakin, which kind of like, beep, beep, Ahsoka, should you really be calling yourself Fulcrum if it was Anakin's? subspace frequency won't he know it's you but in order to fight this the name is used by other rebellion operatives in multiple sectors so he wouldn't necessarily know it was her because there are so many other people who are using this code name yeah it makes their network seem like it's much bigger and it causes a lot more confusion with imperial operatives and correct me if i'm wrong because sometimes i get lost in the time run Mm-hmm. When you mention like, oh, Anakin could have picked it up. To be mm-hmm. fair, at that point in time, does Ahsoka know of the transition or no? Right? She she doesn't she know. Not. So yeah, she doesn't know. So for- so she's just paying homage, yeah. to her to her brother. Yeah, she's trying to honor him without knowing that he could possibly, as Vader, pick back up on this and be like the fuck i thought you were dead yeah but 
he never does. I mean, he might not hear the codename Fulcrum either, especially if the ISB were taking care of it and he didn't have any contact with the program that they were running to counter and the is rebels. this a fair tinfoil thought? Is it possible in light of the novelization that Ahsoka was maybe trying to reach out to Anakin as well, not knowing he was alive or what had been going on or that's too much of a stretch or we're just not sure. I think it would have been wishful thinking on her part because she in the novel is unable to connect with anyone. Gotcha. I mean, Obi-Wan has shut himself off from the force at this point. So she could, she wouldn't have been able to reach him anyway. Gotcha. And Anakin is now Vader. So his presence might be a little different. Yeah. So when she she tries to reach out for him, she can't feel him yet. So she assumes that he's dead. That makes a mm-hmm. lot of mm-hmm. sense. What what a mm-hmm. what a lovely thing we just learned. Mm-hmm. And speaking of this change, that gets us to our next key point of our next holocron, Darth Plotius. Now, those at the helm of Clone Wars have taken the original content and the newest creations. Mm-hmm. And have arguably, and we do mean arguably, which we'll get into later, expertly welded them together or are trying to just keep layering a story that truly spans 30 years plus. And so we are about to get Helm's Deep (laughs) level dark up in here. We thought we had prepared our minds. But we cannot hold our excitement for long. The ground shakes. <laughs> droids. We see droids in the deep. We cannot get out. A Sith moves in the dock. We cannot get out. The end is coming. Ooh. Ooh. Mm, drums in the deep. Mm. So the Siege of Mandalore is here, guys. It's here. It is space book of fish folks but will we be hearing the songs of the siege of mandalore that moff gus fring i mean mm, sorry guys moff gideon mentions in the mandalorian tv show are we gonna see the night of a thousand tears that he talks about eh, i doubt it because i'm pretty sure that john favreau called dibs on this <laughs> to cover in the mandalorian tv show instead but we really wanted to see this like or, of course, it would be awful, awful to see and witness, but we actually want to know what happens. Yes. So, of course, we want to see it. And speaking of loving watching things that we feel as though we have to avert our eyes to the carnage of at times, let's move to our seventh holocron. The Droid Liberation and Defense Organization covers defending those droids. And the key droid that we want to cover today is that super tactical droids. The key one calls out, it's a trap, you fools, trying to steal some of Mon Calamari's thunder there, but we Mm. see you, STD. (laughs) Which is Mm. a hilarious abbreviation. I know. Oh, you poor guys. Oh, no. And droids were front and center in the beginning of the episode as a massive force besieges Commander Cody and Obi-Wan on Yabarin. 
And the guy in charge on the bad boys team was a super tactical droid, which are pretty rare. And Colleen, are you able to give any insight at all, not to put you on the spot, just how rare STDs are? (laughs) (laughs) Well, it really depends on the STDs. These guys were expensive. And that is why there aren't as many of them because their programming is so difficult to manufacture. Yeah. It's not like they're the lock and step why droids flying out there in the field. They're not even like the B2s, which would be even more expensive than the B1s. Yeah. These guys have like the utmost optimal programming. So they're going to be very expensive. Yeah. You don't see them very much in the Clone Wars. They're usually at really important sites, really important battle sites. You'll see them kind of with the major generals. Like, I don't think Grievous may have like one or two that he kind of hangs around, but Grievous thinks that he's just fine being the super tactical droid on ship. But like with Admiral Trench had one and here we have one. And then Dooku is usually the one who's ordering these guys around. It's either him or Grievous who is ordering the super tactical droids around. And so I guess while they were an improvement over the usual tactical droids, These guys are pretty rigid and resistant Mm -hmm. to strategies other than their own. And so although they were capable of reasoning, which we see in our future droid, this kind of reminds me why the opening arc of this season was so important. The idea Mm -hmm. that advanced technological thinking Mm -hmm. is just so coveted, rare, and necessary, it helps reinforce that. Because otherwise, I keep thinking to myself, I need more STDs. And that's not a thought. <laughs> that is a sentence Meeting. we didn't think we'd be yeah. saying, folks. Thinking that I'd want more STDs on my side was not <laughs> how I planned on entering season seven of Star Wars. Definitely not. And we'll get into Kalani a little bit more if and when we cover Rebels, which, spoiler, mm-hmm. is totally going to happen. But why don't mm-hmm. you give us a little appetizer teaser on this important droid? Yeah. Mm-hmm. This guy, he is an STD himself named Kalani. Probably the most rare STD, <laughs> if you will. We see him on Onderon, that is this Saw Gerrera's planet in the Clone Wars series. But we also get to see him later in Rebels. Yeah. He shows up again. So Vader, of course, because he's an asshole, he deactivated most of the droid army after Order 66. Which, again, needed anymore. Reminder in Defender of Droids section, that AKA means he slaughtered all of them with a kill switch. Yep. Turn him right off. But our dude Kalani deduced that it was a Republic trick. And he overrode the command. Nice. <laughs> so we're talking about clever boy. He saved his troops. Like he saved all of his comrades. We can't wait to talk him about him in more detail when we do eventually cover rebels. And I also had to say, like, I didn't remember that this was the same droid. So it just goes to show that research pays off, folks. Yeah. When you're doing that deep dive recon mission into the research. You can find all these really cool little Star Wars nuggets. It's like, once again, well done, Clone Wars team and Rebels team. 
And mm. we have a great feeling about how well research pays off. So let's move into our next section, the I've Got a Bad Feeling About This Critics Corner. And loyalty may mean everything to the clones, Colleen, but we've got a bad feeling about where this arc is heading. Obviously, Dave Filoni does too, or he wouldn't keep politely and cleverly smashing us over the head with that Anakin quote. And Colleen, I know I mentioned earlier about this arguable expert welding and weaving of stories, but that's not the end all be all. What's the counter argument macro critics corner that we have to touch on here? Yep, we have to talk about it. This is probably one of the biggest issues that Star Wars faces within its fan base. Will there be retcons? And hmm. what is a retcon? Okay, well, we here at BGS, we don't really care for this term, retcon. It's kind of a, not, a, a nasty little word. It means retroactive continuity. Oh. This is basically a fancy pants way of saying that the creators wanted to change shit, so they did. This shit and stinks, you my dear. anything that came before it. Exactly, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Okay, so if you've seen the movie Misery or have read the Stephen King novel Misery, this will sound familiar. The really angry Annie Wilkes basically says you can't kill a character off and then have them miraculously live in the next book or movie. Hmm. To quote Kathy Bates, he didn't get out of the cock duty car. And does Star Wars do this at all? <laughs> Is this like a thing that we do here? It comes under fire for retconning all the damn time. What are some all of the, the retcon dis questionable disasters or at least the retcons that are most well known the first major one is that luke and leia end up being siblings in return of the jedi when george lucas had them in a love triangle with han solo in empire strikes back which really makes me feel for jamie and cersei lannister because it's my understanding that they really looked to that as their personal romeo and juliet so mm -hmm. You know, pour one out for that lost storyline. Oh, so sad. I mean, that is probably the most well-known retcon. There are plenty that occur like within the books from the movies to the TV shows and back and forth. But this happens a lot in long-lived genre stories. In order to keep things fresh or start something new, a creator might discard certain aspects of work that came before that aren't going to fit into the storyline that they want to do. And you'll always have folks who love it, folks who hate it. We have our particularities. But yeah, you know. we try to go with the flow of the artistic force as much mm -hmm. as possible behind the new mm -hmm. Star Wars content. Though we will admit for our own personal personality preferences, we always appreciate it a little bit more when it stays consistent mm -hmm. with the original elements, especially if it builds into and onto that. Yes. And speaking mm -hmm. of continuity issues and your better understanding of the Ahsoka novelizations and novelizations as well, we're anticipating that not only the lightsaber color is potentially mm -hmm. going to be the only potential issue there. Am I right about that, Colleen? Am I missing anything there? 
I think we can assume that there are going to be other changes, especially since E.K. Johnston has been on Twitter kind of saying, you know what, they told me to write something that there was no information on. Yeah. And to try and stay away from certain elements. So it's understandable that things happen. Yeah. Changes happen. I mean, Filoni wasn't in charge of the Ahsoka novel. He might have had a little bit of input on it. But for the most part, he's like, no, don't touch my baby. The Siege of Mandalore is his baby. Don't touch it. <laughs> yep. So it, it's understandable that some stuff was maybe shifted around and changed a bit. So I, I suppose if we're trying to pull a page from Anakin's book when it comes to mediating between two parties <laughs> who might not agree with the best course of action, what we'll say is you're correct, dear listener, regardless of your stance from a mm-hmm. certain point of view. And speaking at looking things from a certain point of view, Colleen, tell us a little bit more about Anakin's slow unraveling and why that's Mm -hmm. a micro concern in this episode. Yeah, this is highly concerning. I mean, once Ahsoka quit and left the Jedi, that was a huge knock against the Jedi in Anakin's book. He might not have admitted it to himself yet, but it was. But we should all be super worried when Anakin starts spouting off to Obi-Wan about Ahsoka. Yeah. And why she left the Order. Little bit of Kool-Aid. Yeah, a little bit of uh, something going on here. This is a bit of a longer quote because I want to get the whole conversation. Please do. It's really important to show just where Anakin's brain is at this point. To start out the conversation, Anakin says, quote, It all makes sense now. If Ahsoka hadn't left the Order, she wouldn't have been where she needed to be. Classic Obi-Wan responds, quote, That's one way to look at it, I suppose. <laughs> <laughs> and then here comes Anakin with his frickin' true absolutist nature. Little Sith action coming in here. It's the only way to look at it. We're going to capture Maul. Finally, I thought you would be more excited about this. Just a little bit of slaughtering. Just a touch. And then Obi-Wan ends, like, cool your jets, my guy. Quote, I am cautiously optimistic. That's like the Obi-Wan bumper sticker, by the way. (laughs) Basically, basically. I mean, seriously, what the fuck, Anakin? What? What? Why would Obi-Wan be excited to see the person who murdered his true love? Even if they were bringing him into custody. Yeah. Like, Anakin, you should know Obi-Wan way better than this by now. He's not into revenge. He told Hondo that in season one. He said the Jedi don't seek revenge. Come on, Anakin. (laughs) Like, it's not like... Because Anakin, of course, has executed a few people. I mean, come on. He just killed Trench earlier this season. Yep. Judge, jury, and executioner, I tell you what. Mm -hmm. Yep. So freaking red flags should be flying in Obi-Wan's brain during this conversation. But I think he's still so lost in his grief and his war fatigue that he's kind of noticing it, but not paying enough attention to it. Yeah. And one thing Obi-Wan certainly wasn't doing was helping to finger paint those clone helmets. And (laughs) that is another micro we've got a bad feeling about this in this episode because while we are absolutely delighted to see the clones paint their helmets to honor ahsoka i mean 
we know what's coming. We're going to, we think, mm -hmm. watch her once loyal troops attempt to gun her down while paying her homage when the when the switches flipped and it's mm -hmm. almost too much to think about but we're going to watch yeah. it anyway <laughs> mm -hmm. and we will and colleen i loved this little nugget that you found so i want to give it directly mm -hmm. to you and it deals mm -hmm. with the armorer in the mandalorian yes. what is this mm -hmm. not necessarily prediction but kind of like i spy with my tin foil eye something mm -hmm. that Something that's also to do with helmets. Mm. If you go back and watch The Mandalorian and pay close attention to the armorer, she is wearing a horned helmet, much like Maul's followers in this arc of the Clone Wars. Some of them, his higher up lieutenants like Gar Saxon and Rook Cast, have the horns on their helmets and they're of course matching him so they're red and black matchy and matchy armor's helmet is more gold but quick paint job the clones did it i mean the armor could definitely do this so is the armor potentially rook cast she could be i mean we're all kind of hoping that she may be bo katan or sabine wren or someone yeah. who we're more familiar with as being on the quote-unquote light side of the mandalorians so it might be Someone like that, this could be just a Mandalorian that salvaged the helmet after Mandalore falls to the Empire. It could be that, but it also could be one of Maul's Maldalorian marauder people <laughs> that escaped. Which we suggest all of you say five times fast and then send that <laughs> in. So either way, we'll be keeping an awfully close eye on her or hers in the future. Until then, let's pivot to our next section, best, best car. Who won the best outer rim job of this episode? And frankly, we had to give it to a few fine folks this time, right, Colleen? Yes. Yeah. There are so many people like just over the entire series here in this kind of category who I would love to give it to. But I got to give it up to <laughs> our fantastic... <laughs> Uh-oh, what? What happened? No, give no, it no, to you? <laughs> give it to me. Give it to me. Give it to me. Dun, 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 oh. dun. Mm, mm, mm. So who's first up, Colleen? Mm. So we are giving it up <laughs> to our fantastic guest voice actors. Yeah. Great team assembled for this arc. We have Bo-Katan who is Battlestar Galactica's Katie Sackhoff, who yeah. played Starbuck on that show. Another badass bomb lady character who has also sort of a redemption arc. Great casting choice, Dave Filoni. Then we have nobody's dude, Gar Saxon, this fucking asshole. He's voiced by Ray Stevenson. He's probably most famous for the HBO TV series Rome, and he's kind of a side character in the Marvel movie Thor films. He's nice. one of the Asgardian buddies of Thor's. And then we have Rook Cast, who we just talked about as maybe being the armorer. She is voiced by the lovely Vanessa Marshall, who is our very own Rebels Harrison Dula. And then this one just freaking floored me. I laughed so hard when I saw who this was. Our STD yeah. of this episode, our super tactical droid of this episode was Donald Faison from nice. Scrubs 
clueless and he also does a voice in star wars resistance yes 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 and speaking of what we love it has been too long and we are proud we are honored to give best best car for the core of the episode to ahsoka tanu everything she did this episode was absolutely fantastic having Mm -hmm. the courage to reach out to the Jedi, even after they Mm -hmm. forsook her herself, Mm -hmm. talking hard truths to Obi-Wan and Anakin. What a Mm -hmm. burden shift of responsibility. Mm -hmm. Her 17-year-old is making more sense Uh, than the adults. (laughs) I mean, this this is why, you know, when we were younger reading books like Harry Potter, we're like, yes, it makes complete sense that the kids will have to save the world. It just makes Mm -hmm. sense, folks. Because she, like other young heroes we look up to and admire, have a gorgeous swan song. And here we see her do that gorgeous swan dive into Sindari, taking charge of clones, earning their respect, charging into tunnels, deflecting missiles with the force. This, she has it got and going on strong. All day long. All day long. She has come into her own. Her walkabout arc, which was necessary, folks, brought her to this moment. She had to earn it, and she did. And Mm -hmm. we expect, though we cannot give a guarantee, you know, we try to keep our jury bias in check, but we Mm -hmm. expect to see her win again or come in some close seconds so we're going to be saving more commentary for then i mean but gosh i wish i could sore jump like she did so so bad when rex was like i'm sorry i didn't think to bring you a jackpack and she's like that's fine i I don't need one bye-bye yeah jumps out and rex is like just like old times oh so good (laughs) and so colleen well i fully expect you to teach me how to force jump off the air on the air for our master and apprentice section this time we really only have one key question yes and colleen what is the essence of that question mm-hmm. well the essence is super sexy so we're just gonna go right into that quote i was hoping for kenobi why are you here mm. i know i've been purring mm. a lot this episode but Ooh. you know i love that final mm. arc i'm purring like a mm. kitty we are because we're just seeing all of our people come out strong in this episode and loving it so for this question if you couldn't tell from my quote reading there we're gonna be talking about my boy my danger snack mr former darth maul yeah and it gets to the essence of that critics corner that retcon mm-hmm. question Was Darth Maul's survival at the Phantom Menace a retcon? Was Mm -hmm. it fan service? Mm. Colleen, break Mm. down kind of the 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 argument and your reaction to it. Do you do you like that reaction? Is that a little? Is that like does that comfort Mm. you in the darkness of night, like Maul? Mm. You know, I am a massive Maul fan. If you can't tell, (laughs) this question both angers and offends me. (laughs) My face when I first saw this freaking argument was about as red as Maul's face. (laughs) 
I think you mean his cold-pressed abs. (laughs) Well, yes, those two, obviously. I mean, half of his abs, because the other half is now metal, and that's fine also. Womp womp. Poor, poor Maul. So we didn't technically see Maul die in The Phantom Menace. We just watched his body's two halves plummet down a shaft. Technically. And as any good Star Wars fan knows, a fall won't kill anyone, except maybe Mace Windu. Oh, Mm. Mm. sorry, Mace. Not sorry. So we didn't see him die. Yep. We didn't see a body. Yes, he got sliced in half, but that's fine. I mean, he was massively popular after his mostly silent appearance in The Phantom Menace, probably because a ton of advertising heavily featured his frightening visage. Like it was everywhere. Yeah. People were thinking, oh, this is the big bad. Like this is the big bad that we are going to be seeing in this movie. And he's just he the best dressed bad, big bad. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, he's, yeah, he looks great. I mean, he does look great in the movie. He's just the most flossy. But he's dispatched fairly easily. I mean, yes, he does kill Qui-Gon, which is a huge fucking accomplishment for an apprentice, yes. even a Sith apprentice. But he just didn't get very much screen time. George, quote unquote, killed him off. But he was also the one who suggested bringing Maul back for the Clone Wars. He... George, of course, was basically like, sup, Dave Filoni, you know, who should not be dead? <laughs> Just when you think he's out, they mm-hmm. bring me back in. So poor Dave Filoni is probably sitting there thinking, how in the hell <laughs> can Maul survive Obi-Wan slicing him up like a Christmas ham? Like, what? How are we going to do this? <laughs> so Dave takes a little page out of Darth Sidious's book. Nice. Using that quote, the dark side of the force is the path to many abilities some consider to be unnatural. (laughs) So like, indeed, great job, Filoni. He decided to utilize Maul's incredible rage and lust for revenge to channel the dark side to keep himself alive. Yeah. Even though he was missing his lower half. His rage and just intense focus of the force and power in the dark side was enough to keep him alive. Yep. And that's good enough for me. Yep. I mean, if there is Run. one thing that's going to keep somebody alive, it is going to be the idea that you can pay somebody back. Yep. And speaking of paying things back, paying things forward, and wanting to talk more about Maul and what we expect to be sparks flying and sabers slashing, join us again next week to geek out together about Clone Wars Season 7, Episode 10, The Unveiling of Dangerous Snacks Grand Plan. If he has one, because I, I truly don't know. I'm, I am being a good, pure Avatar Padawan for newbie watchers. You don't know at all. And I am resisting the call to the dark side of gluttony. <laughs> so until then, keep letting other awesome geeks who love exploring Star Wars or are newbies know about BGS, know how to find us wherever they enjoy podcasts. And Colleen, Mm -hmm. are we interested in just questions we Mm -hmm. fans might want answered during the Master and Apprentice section? Well, yes, we are. (laughs) 
Or can people also send us cool Star Wars tidbits that they think that we should maybe include? Could they do that too? Of course they can. In fact, there's a few ways that they can get to us. Tell me more. Tell me more. Tell me more. I will. They can email us at bohemiangeekstudies at gmail.com. Following us and reaching out to us on Twitter and Instagram, of course. And just getting deeper involved in our shared geeky community in a galaxy close, close to your ears and our hearts. Yep. So thanks so very much. We look forward to hearing from you all. We look forward to keeping those detailed dorky dives. Until then, sabers up and keep those episodes streaming. Star Wars, this is on Star Wars, specifically Clone Wars, Season 7. Star Wars, this is on Star Wars, specifically Clone Wars, Episode 9. Woo! That was some show you put on just now. Just doing our job, Captain. (laughs) 